The Indie Insider Podcast is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm working to help independent video game developers reach massive audiences, publish financially successful titles, and turn game development into a career. The company also offers educational resources for aspiring and experienced developers alike, which is why we get to bring this show to you every week. For more on Blackshell Media, visit blackshellmedia.com. Welcome to Indie Insider, presented by Blackshell Media. This is the weekly show where we talk with video game developers and professionals about their stories, their advice for others, and their thoughts on the indie video game industry. I'm Logan Schultz, and on today's show, I sit down and talk with Larry Cooperman, Director of Business Development for Night Dive Studios. He and I talk at length about his career, why he feels we're in the golden age of gaming, his advice for aspiring business professionals in the games industry, and we take a deep dive into the pros and cons of how DRM affects games, marketplaces, and indie developers. As always, if you have thoughts, questions, or ideas on what we should do next, shoot me an email at logan at blackshowmedia.com. You can also find the most up-to-date news on the Indie Insider Podcast on Twitter by following at Logan A. Schultz or at Indie underscore Insider. Finally, you can follow us on Instagram under the name Indie Insider. And now, Larry Cooperman of Night Dive Studios. Um, so my name is Larry Cooperman. I'm the Director of Business Development for Night Dive Studios. We are uh, an independent game developer and publisher. Um, we specialize in reviving, republishing um, the classic games of yesteryear. Our, probably our flagship product is the System Shock um, series of games, System Shock 1, System Shock 2. Um, we have also recently released uh, Turok 1, Dinosaur Hunter, and Turok 2, Seeds of Evil. Um, we have over 100 games um, that we've published electronically, and, um, and that's the nature of our company. So tell me a little bit about how you got into this and, and kind of, like you said, remaking the games of yesteryear. Sure. Um, so in 2001... Um, I was actually uh, engaged in enterprise software sales. Um, I was doing a, a whole bunch of different different products, um, but again, for the enterprise, I was uh, very much in a suit and tie profession. And um, at that time, I saw a newsletter from a, a company um, that said that Stardock Systems Inc. Um, was looking for a sales manager to come to work in beautiful Livonia, Michigan. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been to Livonia, but the description that was included in the article was uh, Livonia, Michigan, where it's always sunny and 72 degrees. Um, I got that email in in December, and um, I could not help myself, but I responded saying, well, well, clearly there were two Livonia, Michigans, the the one that existed in their daydream where it was sunny and 72 degrees, and (laughs) the one that I knew that it was... uh, that was cold as could be. Well, it was it was funny. Um, so after I, I sent out that 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 kind of snarky email, um, got a, a response back um, from one of the VPs over there saying they had looked at my uh, LinkedIn resume, uh, my LinkedIn credentials, and thought that I would be a, a great candidate for the job. And could I come in? Um, I met with uh, Brad Wardell over there. Um, we instantly clicked and. Uh, I left there, you know, again, I, I was had been in a suit and tie profession, uh, but I'd always been a gaming enthusiast, and I, I left there, and, and I went home, and I said that, um, crazy as it sounds, um, I was going to uh, try that job for a while and see where it leads. Well, that, that 
a while period lasted from 2001 through 2011. <laughs> okay. During the time that I was I was at Stardock, um, we published games that included uh, The Corporate Machine, uh, Sins of a Solar Empire, um, Demigod uh, from Gas Powered Games from Chris Taylor Studio, and it was it was overall a great experience. Um, in 2004, we had published Galactic Civilizations, and we worked with a publisher um, who I, I will not name at this time, uh, although unfortunately they're still in business. Um, but uh, dur during that time, um, they declared bankruptcy, and basically um, they told us that, gee, we, we sold a lot of copies of your game, but um, we're not paying you for, for most of them. Oh, wow. at, at that time, we had already, we were, were kind of a pioneer um, in electronic software delivery. And so we had been um, selling the game on our own from, from our own store. Had we not been doing that, and that's, that's part of the Stardock story, but had we not been doing that, um, we would have been pulled into bankruptcy also. It would have been something that, you know, we'd, we'd invested a lot of resources in producing GalSiv, um, which is still available, still selling, and still a, a great game. Um, but but the fact that we had uh, we had this electronic um, system of of delivering games directly to consumers is what saved us, and that was that was an epiphany for me. Um, as time went on, you know, Stardock was pretty successful. In two thousand and eight, um, Stardock opened up um, the Impulse client, which was uh, a competitor for Steam, and uh, I was part of the team that worked with every different publisher to try to bring their games onto Impulse and to you know create a, a viable alternative for the Steam system. Um, we were pretty successful, and in 2011, um, Impulse um, was sold to GameStop and became the GameStop client. Oh, wow. Um, and so for, for a period from 2008 through 2013, um, when I left GameStop, um, I, you know, I was completely devoted to the electronic sales of games. And, and during that time, my relationship with Steam kind of morphed. Um, we went from becoming a Steam competitor to actually becoming a Steam partner. And, uh, and GameStop became one of retail places for buying Steam cards, and we were also using Steam, car, uh, Steam codes for our fulfillment. Um, and that, that kind of brings us around to, um, to you know, today's topic. But, um, I, you know, I've, I've worked on both sides of the fence. Um, I've worked as both a Steam client right now. Um, all of Night Dive's titles, over 100 titles, are available on Steam as well as on um, GOG.com and uh, the Humble Store. And, uh, a couple of other places we participate in in a number of different bundle opportunities, um, but so I've worked with them as as both a client, you know, a kind of partner, and then um, previous to that, I worked I worked with uh, I worked in opposition to them as uh, as running a competitor. It's a pretty impressive story, Larry, and you know you've had a a fairly you know successful time in in this industry. Looking back on that story, telling me that story. Um, how do you how do you feel? Uh, you know, do you feel like you've accomplished a lot? Do you feel like you still have a long way left to go? Where are you at in terms of that? You know, retrospective of your of your career of your work. Well, it's, it it's pretty amazing how much games have changed and how much the environment of games changed. Um, I should should also mention that that fairly recently I've uh, started to run a meetup in in the area where I live in in Michigan in Ann Arbor. Um, that's the A two Game Designers Meetup, and and I'm trying to help. Um, 
people enter the industry, and, and we'll probably circle back to that when, when you ask me for my advice and my thoughts at the end, but um, you know, when I tell the kids today that when I started my career, games were sold in retail stores. They were they were burnt to to CD or you know in the in the wild and crazy days, uh, burnt to DVD, uh, put into into packages, um, in, you know into boxes. Those boxes were shrink wrapped and they were placed on shelves. Um, and that was the way that people consumed their games. You know, I, I would also say at the same time that you, you went to many of those same stores and you bought your music on CDs and you bought your movies on, on DVDs or, you know, any of the, the older formats. But that, that, that there was a tie-in between um, media and, you know, physical media and, and, and products. Um, people just don't understand the, the complexities that were involved in it. Um, you know, for example, if you've never been in the retail world, um, you don't know what, what MDF stands for. That's, you know, um, it, it's marketing funds. Um, it's money that you pay to your retailer to promote your games, you know, so that your games uh, aren't placed on the, on the bottom shelf or, you know, back in that dusty old cupboard, but to get your games, you know, placed prominently that you had to had to pay extra money for that sure um that that stores dictated what games would be on the shelves um you know that's that's the single single biggest thing that that i've seen the the digital changeover um accomplish that you had to go in there and you had to pitch your game not just to a publisher but the publisher would often have to pitch the game, and you would be part of that pitch effort to the the buyers at at Walmart, at Target. You know, very often, um, and, and I'm not knocking those stories, but I'm just saying that that the way that retail worked, you very often you were pitching your game to people who didn't actually play games. Uh, so you were, you were trying to describe, you know, that old uh, the old uh, phrase about describing, you know, the, the blind men trying to describe the elephant, that they each saw something different, and you know, you'd walk out of some of these pitch sessions with your your head just swimming because they wanted to change the mechanic of a game that you had worked on for three or four years, and 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 now we don't have those obstacles. Um, the barriers are lower, and there are real consequences to that. Um, that that lead me to believe that we're kind of living in a in a golden age of, of gaming at least for pc you know it's been great that i've been able to be be part of that in, in some small way <laughs> sure of course that's an interesting uh claim to make that we are in a golden age especially in pc and i have to imagine that you're saying that um uh, very much because of steam right uh, absolutely um you know, Steam has created a, a platform, and and first of all, I'm I'm very active on on social media, and I and I hear from many developers, mostly in mobile, um, but but some in the PC area, that have put their heart and soul into creating a game, and are now you know running into the challenge of of discovery. Somebody's worked on a game for three years and have the game up for six months, and they've had two downloads, and and I feel for those guys. Um, and and that is a real problem today. That you know, how do we how do we find the stuff that's that's good that's out there? But but Steam has created um, a platform where people, without a lot of marketing support, without having a relationship with a big publisher, without having to pay you know marketing de marketing development funds to buyers to promote their games, who you know have been able to have a tremendous amount of success. And and I would offer to you um, you know Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. 
Of course. Um, now that's a game that might have succeeded, you know, even in the old retail world. It's it's it, you know it's a great game. Um, the the battle mechanics are outstanding, and and after all, who doesn't want to see winner winner chicken dinner? <laughs> um, but but take a game like Stardew Valley. Would that game have even made it onto a retail shelf? It's hard to say, honestly. Um, you know, you look back at at the at the the old days when um, you know when there were a half dozen or or a dozen publishers controlling everything that was on on the shelves, and they would only they would only manage three or four titles a year. And so you had a selection of you know 50 games coming out, and of them, you know, 25 were good and 25 not so good, and those were your options as a game player. And if you didn't like the style of games that was in that year, well, tough luck. <laughs> you know, today we have a lot more choices, and um, and and the, the the publishers, and I'm going to say Steam is the as the foremost. Um, but again, let me let me just also share that we uh, we also work with GOG. Um, they've been a very important partner of ours, and uh, we we support Humble, both the Humble Store and and Humble Bundles. Um, that those things have really been disruptive technologies that have bettered the selection for gamers today. A game sinks or swims in large measure because of its own own merit. If a game is great and people find out about it, I, I, I will say that, that that still remains a challenge. But, but if they can overcome that hurdle and, and reach some audience where it, it takes on its own critical mass, people are going to find you if you make a great game, no matter what it is. Well, Larry, I want to talk to you a little bit more about um, your story, give a little more context to who you are, why you're here, and and why you have these points to share. And of course, we will work our way towards our big conversation. Um, But just a couple of questions based off of that, you know, uh, career story that you gave me, which again, I, I was extremely impressed by, you ended up spending a decent amount of time in Michigan, which I imagine is not always 73 and sunny, like you said. It's not. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's a I, it's a great environment for gaming though I, I will say that because when it's you know minus five and and there's 14 inches of snow the the idea of staying home and downloading a game and playing it all day seems really great excellent i'm located in iowa so i i understand it's not not too terribly different although i don't have as as many lakes as you do um but yeah, tell me a little bit about what the video game scene looks like in Michigan. Or you said you're uh, working with a startup, or not yeah, well, a startup, it's, rather, it's but a meetup. It's, it's actually it's actually a meetup group. Um, we are uh, we have sponsorship um, from our local um, state sponsored entrepreneurial group, Spark S P A R K. Um, they provide a, a location for us. Um, but uh, we bring in students from a number of the major universities in the Southeast Michigan area. That includes the University of Michigan, um, Eastern Michigan University, um, Lawrence Tech, Washington Community College. Um, and we actually attract people from as far off as, as Lansing, which is, which is about a 90-minute drive, uh, which is where Michigan State University is, um, to the Detroit area. People come in for this. And we bring in speakers. We meet um, once a month. We bring in speakers. Um, who are able to share their industry um, experience and uh, expertise with uh, with the youngsters? Um, we've done um, stuff with uh, groups that are, you know, uh, with, uh, with 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 uh, 
uh, companies that are started that are working in the VR space. Um, we've done companies, you know, brought speakers from companies uh, more traditionally. Um, last uh, last uh, last month, we uh, we had two CEOs um, come in and speak uh, about their their companies and their journeys. We had Scott Brody, who's the the founder um, at Heart Shaped Games. Um, he was, you know, one of the early XBLA producers from Microsoft and, and helped indies uh, get on that platform. And he's currently um, talking about his, his own development and his experience with Kickstarter. And we had Scott Reschke, um, who's the CEO of Strength in Number Studios, which is, which is again, based out of Lansing, um, come in and speak about his journey in creating the game uh, Toy Bar, um, which is a, a massively multiplayer game that's, that's uh, available on Steam right now. Um, so we had that as, as current experience, you know, and, and the floor is open. The, we asked the speakers to stay for an hour afterwards so that the students can socialize with them and, and get the benefit of their experiences. Um, because of my background and because, um, oh, heck, let's face it, because I'm old and have been doing this for, for close <laughs> to 20 years, um, we've brought in some, uh, some of you know, my industry contact, uh, Matt Toshlog, who's, who's in this area, um, Matt and his uh, partner Mike Mulko were the uh, the geniuses behind the game Descent. Oh, okay. You know they did that whole outrage entertainment um, thing that you know that became part of uh, THQ, and and they eventually split off. Um, Matt stayed with Outrage, and uh, his partner opened Volition Studios. You know which which probably needs no introduction. So hmm. we've we've had people that that have come in and have um, and have talked about about their experience, and it's it's funny there are. There are more people in Michigan um, that are doing game development that are that are creating great games than, than people realize, um, and of course we want to foster it even more. Um, I mentioned my uh, my former employer, and we've had tremendous support um, from the, the team over at Stardock. Um, they you know they they regularly attend. Um, Stardock has produced you know. Not only, not only are they they're currently uh, doing some great things in, in terms of, of 4X space games and development there, but there are significant numbers of Stardock alumni um, that are working in the games industry. So you really have your you know finger on the pulse of these young aspiring developers and also some you know very experienced developers who are not necessarily located on a coast in you know the U.S., what are your thoughts and what are you seeing in terms of, you know, fresh-faced indie developers, what they're learning, what they're able to achieve, and, you know, especially not in one of the main places that people necessarily think of game development in? So so a couple of things uh, on that. Um, first of all, you know, a lot of the, the early stage, you know, gaming studios, uh, you know, if you're, if you're doing a startup, um, it is certainly more cost effective to do it in a, in a Michigan, in an Iowa, in a, you know Wisconsin, uh, than to try to open up that same size studio in San Francisco or LA or New York. Um, so that that's one part of it. Um, the coasts still are the places that you're going to have to go to if you're going to be pitching for VC money or for funding. Um, those those are that that's that's part of the challenge that we face. Although we are trying to change that. Um, there are a lot of investors in Michigan. Um, however, when you begin by explaining to them this is not automobile related, they kind of lose interest. But we're we're working on changing that now. Um, so so that's that's part of it. The the other thing, um, and again, I don't want to sound like I'm painting an overly rosy picture. You know, this is the <laughs> best of times. But one of the things that's really cool for uh, for developers today. Um, 
and and to, you know to remember the history is is the tool sets that are available free of charge that are that are out there you know to to help them get started so that you know we we run to a lot of people that are working in unity a lot of people that are working in unreal and for for any of the young listeners um that may sound like you know of course you're you're using you know unreal or unity to develop your game um it was great having Matt Toshla come in there and say well so we had this idea for a game, and step one was build an engine. And today, you know, people don't face that hurdle. So it's, it's a lot easier to get started. Um, here in this area, we are, uh, we're really attempting to, to foster that and to, and to really attract people. Um, some of the top-rated uh, game development schools, both for undergraduate and for graduate work, are located in Michigan. Again, um, if you're looking to to get your degree in a in a game related field, or whether you want a computer science and engineering degree, or or you're you're actually specializing in game development, um, cost of living and cost of tuition is a lot less here, so we're able to attract a lot of a lot of good talent. Sure, that makes a lot of sense, and that's maybe something that people don't necessarily think about. A lot of people, you know, listen to these shows and they read articles and they think they need to be out in California in order to, you know, make video games and be with other people who make video games. But that's definitely not necessarily the case, especially, you know, in, in this day and age, as you say, especially the uh, barrier of let, entry is so low. Let me also add that, um, you know, uh, there's there's an expression that, that you use in, in, in sales. It's, a, it's part of the sales parlance or the business development parlance, you know, uh, companies that use their own tool sets or adopt their own technologies, the, the phrase that's used for it is, is eating, you know, eating your own dog food. Um, something I don't recommend. It's just a phrase folks. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, that's, that's really been part of my, uh, part of my career as well. Uh, Night Dive Studios is 100% distributed. I mean, we're working on a, a pretty major project doing the, uh, the reboot of, of System Shock. We've got a team of, of 30 developers on that. We have other teams that are working on some of our other, um, other smaller game efforts. So, you know, all told, we're, we're, we're probably close to 40 employees. We have developers that are working in Eastern Europe, in South America, um, throughout the United States, um, you know, we really are worldwide. We don't, I don't have, I don't think we have anybody in Asia right at this moment. Um, but if somebody came up and, uh, and, you know, had the right set of skills, um, we would bring them on board. We use, you know, Slack and, and Google Hangouts, uh, for communications. Uh, we use Jira for task management. I mean, all of those tools are out there. So when I talk about about um, not being, you know, not having to to work on either coast and, and doing great game design, I really really do mean that that's a, a possibility. So you know, I work for a company that's based out of Vancouver, Washington, but I live in Michigan, and that doesn't really create any problems. Well, Larry, I want to pick on something that you mentioned uh, kind of in passing, and it was this idea that you didn't want to paint an overly rosy picture of this golden age of video games. But you and I have already, in the first 20 minutes of this interview, talked about how the barrier of entry is very low, um, how we are in the golden age of video games, especially in the PC space, uh, how you know open things are, how you can work anywhere in the world and communicate over the internet. I mean, what are you seeing as the downsides of the industry and especially the indie video game industry right now what are the negatives that uh, take away from that rosy picture you're painting so there are there are really two if it is possible for anyone 
to make a video game and have it on a platform and I know Steam has just raised the bar somewhat for that but if it but is if it is possible for anyone to make a game and and get that game onto one of the major platforms um, that means that there are going to be a lot of games on there that um, are not of the same quality standards that we would look for sure. um, so there's there's a lot of stuff on there that said the second part of that, and it's it's linked to that, but the second part of that is is the challenge. Um, how do you discover the good stuff that's out there? So there's there's a whole lot of games out there, some of which are good and some of which aren't so good. How do you find the good ones? And I think that that's the biggest challenge. And I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure that we've got a good solution at that. Um, I attend Steam Dev Days. I attend I attend the the events that are out there. Um, if any of the of the developers that that or, or or consumers that are thinking, oh, there's so much crap out there, you know, go to those events. You'll know that Steam is very serious and they spend a lot of try, time trying to perfect that algorithm that's going to show you the stuff that you want to see and that's going to show you the the good stuff. Um, that said, it is nowhere close to perfect yet. And the same challenge, perhaps even more so, applies to games on the mobile platforms. Um, if I was a, a young developer today, um, if I had any development skills whatsoever, um, there's a reason that I went into business. Uh, <laughs> can't code to save my life. Uh, but but that said, um, if I was a young developer today and you know looking to, to create my first game, I would probably look to create it for mobile. The problem is that there are you know ten gazillion games on the Android platform and you know nine gazillion on on iOS. And how do you get your game discovered? I mean that's 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 the challenge today, and we don't have a good answer. I I I, I don't have that answer for you. Um, I will tell you that. Some of the traditional methods that we we use to find you know to to solve those problems um, are are falling by the wayside. Um, I think it's harder to be a um, a, a publisher uh, to to be a media publisher. Um, you know, every day I read um, I read Polygon, I read Kotaku, I look at uh, you know the games industry stuff. I look at Gama Sutra. Um, I look at those places, and very often I, I count on them to give me some direction, uh, both for what's hot and what I should be looking for, what I should be playing to, to understand um, the gaming industry. Um, PC gamers on there too. It, in the old days, you were able to pick up three or four magazines, and if you read those across the span of a month, you pretty much had con contained everything that was out there. Well, that was back when there were a lot less games. And so now the, the efforts for discovery and, and filtering um, for content, it, it, it's a lot more challenging. It is challenging. And that's something that we visit a lot on this show. So I appreciate you, you know, sharing some of your ideas and some of your thoughts. Now, you are the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the director of business development uh, for Night Dive, which also, you know, both develops games and actually publishes games as well. Do you have any insight for those indie devs out there who currently aren't working with a publisher and currently aren't, you know, represented by anyone other than themselves uh, in terms of that discoverability? Yes. Um, so, so a couple of things on there. Uh, first of all, um, if I had a, uh, if I had a bulletproof answer, uh, I'd, I'd 
be richer than I am. Um, so this is going to be trial and error. Um, things things that you can look at. Um, first of all, for your early games, and this has been a, an ongoing discussion on some of the forums that, that I'm at, um, think more about quality and less about number of features. Um, one of the problems in, in game development, and, um, and it's true in software development throughout, is... Um, is feature creep. Uh, the the longest journey, and it's always a downhill journey. You know, starts with the words, "Hey, you know what else would be cool?" Um, so that's that's one one part of it. You okay. know, Night Dive, and again, um, Night Dive is a uh, a company that you know we release games that were were previously released that had a history. Um, it it's kind of predictable how a game will do. Um, we knew, for example, that Turok would do really well because it was. It was a game that, when it came out for the N sixty four, was was a mega success. Sure. So you know, so we had we had a certain amount of data on there. Um, I'm not telling you to go into the classic games. I'm not telling young developers to to go into the classic games market or to to try to unearth these treasures. In fact, please don't, because I need my job at night dive. <laughs> um, so you know, we don't really want a whole lot of competition there. But I will say that um, that the history of gaming is something that can be fairly easily contained, and if you have haven't played the classic games of the past if you don't know the history of of your profession that you should take some time and learn it i think that's really sound advice um and i i say that knowing that that is sound advice not only in the video game industry but in in the vast majority of industries and the work that you will be doing i think that's probably extremely helpful uh, you know, uh, I'm I I I'll get to this later on with with my advice, but I am basically a lazy person. Um, <laughs> I I believe that it's good to learn from your own mistakes, but it's even better to learn from somebody else's. Can't agree with you more, Larry, on that one. That was great. Uh, well, hey, I do have one personal question for you, and then we'll kind of keep this moving. Um, personal in that this is a question that I personally want an answer to, and it's this. So there are a lot of indie developers out there, people making video games, but you said yourself that you're not really a developer, you're you're not good at coding, you went into business. There are people who listen to this show, and actually, you know, my, myself as well, who are interested in the business side of video games. Do you have insight for people who are interested in the business side of video games but don't know where to start? Yes, I do. Um, uh and and it, and this this is a topic that comes up. I get asked this um, a lot. Um, the, the the first rule I will tell you, and and I have to give a, a shout out to um, to my old employer and, and mentor Brad Wardell. Uh, he was the one that first first told me about this. Be a generalist. Um, learn some of a variety of different things. So you may spend you know a large part of your day writing materials. And it's it's great that you're you're working on your writing skills and you're 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 becoming an expert at Word or you know whatever. Um, learn Excel. Learn how to do and to edit a web page. Um, the the broader your skill set, the more things that you're able to come to a company and say, well, if you don't have an opening for this right now, but you have an opening for that, um, I can I can fill in on that. So so that's that's the first bit of advice. The second thing is that. While there are very few, probably no universities that um, 
that offer degrees in, in business development for the gaming world take business classes. Uh, don't necessarily, you know, get stuck at business 101, although although that may be a, a, a something that you need to do as a, as a precursor to other things, but take a class in accounting. Take a class in business management. Um, you know, learn some of those, those business principles because those will be invaluable to you. Um, you know, so, so that's, that's my general on, on how to break into that area. Um, you've been very kind that you haven't asked me this because it's a, a little bit embarrassing, but let me just share with you. Um, my <laughs> bachelor's degree um, from New York University, a prestigious school, was in theater education. Um, a major in theater education is pretty much guaranteed uh, to make sure that you're unemployable at any place other than, you know, maybe a coffee shop. Um, <laughs> but I took other classes uh, along the way with that. Uh, when I went in, when I when I realized that, that, you know, I was most comfortable and that what I really wanted to do was to, to go into business, I did go back to school. I did take an MBA, um, completed my MBA at, at at Detroit Mercy, uh, became the first and possibly the, the only student, you know, to, to graduate from their program with a 4.0. Um, people used to ask me all the time where I got my undergraduate business degree, and I told them I had an undergraduate degree in, in, in theater, that my secret was that I acted like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> it, it's worked so far. Um, that said, that said, you know, I, I came into into it with a very broad skill set. So my, you know, my theater training um, means that I'm I'm pretty good at giving presentations in front of large groups of people. I'm very comfortable speaking in front of an audience. Um, that is a skill that if you're going to go into business, you know, at some point you're going to have to speak at a GDC, at an E3, at a Gamescom. Um, you know, so you're going to speak to to a large audience. Uh, the fact that I can work in Excel, that I can crunch some numbers, because that always comes up. Um, in business negotiations, um, the fact that it's probably the thing that I do most often, um, the thing that I can read and write and edit a contract, um, sure. you know, that that's an important skill set. Uh, but those things are, are, are very varied. You know, when you tell people that you're, you're doing contract stuff, but you're not a lawyer, that you're doing mathematics, but you're not, um, you know, the, or, or accounting stuff, but you're not an accountant. And uh, and that uh, you know you're um, you're comfortable in speaking in front of in front of an audience, but your specialty is not public speaking. I mean, those make you very valuable to a company in different ways. So you know that my my overall um, advice is you know become become grounded in a whole lot of things. So, Larry, you sent me this um, pretty lengthy email and a very detailed email with some of your thoughts uh, based on a conversation you had with Rakov Mother of Black Show Media, uh, specifically about uh, Steam and other marketplaces and DRM. Now, do you want to talk a little bit about that? And, and for those who maybe don't know, what is DRM? Absolutely. So DRM stands for Digital Rights Management. Um, in, in a nutshell, and it's a very controversial topic to some people. Um, in essentially, it the the idea behind digital rights management is is making sure that people who have paid for something are able to access it, and that people who haven't paid for something um, aren't able to access it. And you know, Steam has got um, a a ubiquitous digital rights management system where your games are tied to your account. 
And they, they really use the principle of the carrot more than the stick. Why do you buy a game on Steam? Um, because you can install it, uninstall it after you're done playing it, come back three years later and say, hey, I remember I had fun playing that game and there it is for you in your Steam library ready to be installed. If you're like me and you have um, multiple PCs, uh, you know, you can start a game on, on one PC and, and when, you, when you change locations, you can open up another PC and continue playing it. And, and that's great. In the meantime, if you haven't bought the game, and, and we can talk about you know piracy and, and all of that, um, that that's, that's a separate topic. But there's at least a barrier to your being able to, to access that game. Not every platform um, sees DRM as, as a positive. Um, and in fact, I think that if you go back to the, to the early days uh, of of DRM, of making sure that somebody bought it and that they bought a game every time, you know, they had played it. Uh, you're not authorized to play that game on this machine. I mean, it, it, it goes all the way back to the earliest days of software. Um, there were some really terrible, um, you know, systems that were that were put in place for that. Um, again, not everybody uses DRM today. GOG doesn't use DRM. Um, when we do sales with, with Humble, we very often offer both a Steam key and a DRM-free version of it. The disadvantage to the, the DRM-free versions is that if you don't have at least something that ties it to your account and you're only able to download it that one time, if you lose the copy of it, if, you're, if your hard drive starts clicking on you and you only had that one copy, uh, there's, there's no way to recover except to buy it again. So, so there's a plus and a minus. And, and again, the issue of DRM is, is kind of controversial because in the, in the bad old days, there were some really terrible DRM solutions. Um, anyone who's been playing games for you know, 20 years or so remembers um, having to go find a no CD key because the CD that they bought at their store had become scratched and their CD drive was no longer reading it and they, they couldn't play the game even though it was installed without the CD giving the go-ahead. Anyway, those were, those were the bad old days. But we've come, to, um, we've come to a better solution for that. The thing is, when people ask why Steam has DRM at all and, and, and what the issue is with DRM, it opens up a larger issue, which is who is the real client for Steam? And there's, there's two answers to that. Um, it's, the, it's the over 150 million consumers, sure, that's, that's obvious. But people forget that the other client, the ones that are signing contracts, are the publishers and developers. And, and as a publisher, you want to have, you want the games to be convenient for your consumers. We really do love our consumers. We really do. Um, I think that that's true all the way through. Um, I think most companies, you know, really have respect and, and have, have concern for the people that are playing their games. However, we also don't want to sell one copy of it and then have it up you know, for a free download on, on Pirate Bay for everyone else because that's not a sustainable business model. So I think people need to understand um, the relationship between Steam and, and publishers, that Steam has to safeguard the publisher's rights as well. And that has a lot of impacts that people don't, don't see. Um, for example, Steam's return policy. Well, I don't want people to buy my flagship title, play it all the way through, Say, gee, that was a great game, but I'm going to return it anyway since I finished it. That's kind of unfair to me. Hmm. Um, 
a lot of times as I as I observe conversations on various forums, people don't understand that there's a publisher involved, that there's a developer involved in this. Um, when Raghav and I started talking, one of the um, one of the people on and this is on a on a face group uh, group for for people in the in the gaming industry and, and almost everybody is is a, is a fledgling in there there are a few of us um that 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 are in there you know seniors that are in there kind of giving advice people are like well i don't believe in drm i was like well how many copies of your game did you sell seven <laughs> yeah um that those those two things are are, are not related and look uh, again i'm um I'm not going to. I, I'm not taking the position that we need to have DRM. Uh, I I remember the the old days um, when when at least in theory uh, you could only play a music CD on one computer and you couldn't rip the song to an MP3 format because that was considered piracy. Mm-hmm. Um, going back before then, and uh, and Corey Doctor over at, at Boing Boing, who's who's very anti-DRM and, and, and is a friend of mine, um, has done a whole chart on on things that that the media industries have have considered to be piracy, including things like radio. It was stealing money from live musicians, right? Yeah. Um, VHS and Betamax back when those were a thing, um, you know, because you could copy a movie off of television, um, you know, cassette tapes back in the day, th- those were all considered piracy. And there were DRM solutions that were put in place for those that were all, in effect, terrible. That said, you need to have some form of DRM, and I think Steam has has hit the, the, the nail on the head with that. Um, just a, a, a mention from my career, um, back when I started on the Impulse platform um, and we were envisioning ourselves as a Steam competitor, we had developed our own DRM solution and it was used in, um, in THQ's Red Faction Guerrilla, among other games. Uh, people didn't even realize that that was that was our DRM. That you know they they bought the game at retail, they put in the code and and away you know away they went. Well, what we had was a very nice console for the for the publisher that they could look and 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 look at a code and you know they could set up rules. Um, this this code can be used on three PCs and if it if it goes into a fourth PC then then they need to contact support. Those types of things, and if they became aware that a code was being used for for piracy, if it was you know being posted on, you know pirategames.com. I don't know if there's a pirategames.com, so <laughs> I hope they're not going to be angry at me. But but if it was, they could kill that code. Um, you know, and, and we tried we tried doing that. It was tough. It was really hard. Yet Steam seems to have done a really good job. Um, have they have they eliminated piracy? Of course not, but they have made it convenient for the legitimate user to buy their games as opposed to stealing them. And I think that that's a, an an important thing that they've done. That is hugely important um, on the consumer side. I mean, convenience is just of the utmost importance when you're trying to sell and move product, and especially like you say, when you also have to consider protection of you know of the works and the rights of publishers and developers now one thing that you've mentioned is that there's a lot about uh drm that people don't see and there are a lot of people who are creating games and putting them up on the steam marketplace and don't even necessarily understand what drm is or how it's affecting them Uh, what 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 would you say to those people is it important that people 
are, are aware or is it all right that this just isn't a big deal and and then also one other thing you mentioned on your email was having games on multiple marketplaces like yep. GOG yep so uh, so first of all um, just just by way of explanation to the second point taking the second point first um, if if your game is up on Steam and you um, and you want to put it on secondary markets not GOG because GOG is DRM free only. But if you want to put it on places like Green Man Gaming, um, uh, Gamers Gate, even the Amazon Store, they will all accept Steam codes. So you know it becomes a very easy process. You've you've actually uploaded the gate to one a game to one place, and then you just run off codes and you provide those codes to the other partners. Um, that's how we manage most of our bundle opportunities. You know those guys don't have a full fledged store, so so that works out just great. That that Steam um, enables those you know, even competing markets. Um, that's an important part. And uh, again, you know, if I sound like a fanboy of Steam, I'm just ha- having run a competitor for them. I know how hard some of this stuff is. Um, and I think that they do a, a really good job and that they're concerned with, with doing a good job. That said, to the, the first question that you asked about people don't even realize that it's DRM. Um, I, I, I always hate sports illusions, um, you know, words of wisdom from guys who have no necks. <laughs> Um, but okay. but I, but I'm gonna I'm gonna use one now. Um, the best thing, you know, the best quality that you can talk about a baseball umpire is that you forget he's there. Sure, he doesn't get into any arguments with anybody because his calls are consistent and they're right, and and so there's no drama. It's just it's just forgettable. And I think Steam does that. I think that that's a hallmark of Steam that people who uh, who've put their their games up on the marketplace. That they, they're not even aware that there's a DRM protection there. So what are your thoughts about people who, you know, are in these Facebook groups and say to you, I don't believe in DRM. I want things to be DRM free. And then there are marketplaces like GOG that are specifically uh, DRM free. Are, are those, I mean, do you, do you see that as something that's bad or negative that should nope, be addressed? Not at all. Uh, I believe, I believe in choice. I believe that um, there there comes a process of, of gravitation to the to the center. Um, I think that a lot of the young developers who haven't had their first major success yet, that the same rules don't apply when you're selling ten copies of a game a month to when you're selling a hundred thousand copies. I I also think that you know that that for consumers. Um, and, and Night Dive lives by this. You know, we think it's very important that you have options. So, you know, for example, um, if you want to buy System Shock, System Shock, you know, the original System Shock, we've, we've done an enhanced edition with, you know, some, some patches that make the game more playable. Um, it was a very old game, um, and it didn't have, you know, those modern newfangled things like, oh, I don't know, mouse look. That made the game kind of difficult to play. Um, so we've we've got we've got a, a an updated version of the game that's available for you where you can buy it on Steam and it'll be in your Steam account and there it is. But if you really don't like DRM or if you just want to support the guys over at GOG, we have the game over there as well. If you go on to Humble Bundle and you look at the Humble Store, um, you buy the game on there and you have your choice: do you want a Steam code or do you want a DRM free build? 
I think you're onto something with, you know, uh, offering consumers as many options as possible. And it's the same thing we see in on the other side of the fence in terms of development is there are options for everything, right? We live in an age when there are options for everything, no matter what you want to do. do. Are there too many options, Larry? No, I don't think so. I think um, I think that 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 things tend to sort themselves out. So at a time um, when when impulse was new and and GameStop still does digital sales, but it's not big enough that you would notice it. Um, but at the time when, when Impulse was new, we, we had concern from um, from different publishers that said, well, how many different clients can you can you support? Um, and there's a difference between a, a platform and a client. GOG is now offering GOG Galaxy, which is which is uh, you know really a client, a piece of software that that resides on your PC that enables additional functionality in the games. But if you don't like that, if you want to you know if, if you're worried about that you know 128k of memory that it might be taking up or, or whatever, um, you know you can also just just buy it directly off of the web page. Um, and, and again, it's, it's about options. But there's there's also EA's Origin, which is a, a client that's out there that's you know its own self-contained world. At one time, it looked like everybody was going to have their own client. Um, things like like Ubisoft's UPlay have have largely fallen by the the wayside. Um, games for Windows Live as a as a as a client on its own. And as a DRM solution, have have also you know fallen by the wayside. I think that that as time goes on, things tend to sort themselves out. Um, that doesn't mean that there won't be change and that there won't be um, you know new things coming along. Uh, we saw that within, and, and again, you'll excuse me, you know, it's being being close to Detroit. We saw that in the auto industry where there were a lot of of smaller brands coming along. Many of them added some cool stuff, but you know, American Motors disappeared and um you know so you're, you're kind of you're kind of at the big three that doesn't mean that you won't see a disruption when somebody comes along with a better solution like tesla yeah right and and the market kind of dictates that um if people want it it's going to succeed and if people don't want it it's going to fail um, so i don't think that there are too many choices i want one of those model threes larry they look pretty cool um, I'll I'll get you one right after the one that that, that I want arrives. So there you go. Great. We'll stay in touch then. I'll send you an email. It'll be good. Uh, Larry, one other thing you mentioned in this email that you sent to me uh, was kind of what you were thinking about for the future of both indie games and for Steam. Uh, let's let's start with Steam. You you gave me a hint at what you think the roadmap for Steam's growth is going to look like. So so Steam has done um, Steam has done some some contracts steam has done some expansion into other forms of media um soundtracks you know largely game related but soundtracks been available on steam you know for quite some time um steam also um has has dipped their toe into the waters of um of movies um you know, so there are movies that are available. I believe that Steam's got a, a contract with Lionsgate, and 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 that's great. I see I see Steam um, expanding into different areas of um, of media, um, and you know, one that 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 I personally would like to see them get into that I, that I think would be would be pretty interesting would be uh, comic books. There's such a tremendous synergy between comic books and and games. Um, you know there are companies like like Titan Comics that has uh, um, Assassin's Creed and Deus Ex, 
and you know a whole series of um, of gaming related comics uh, why wouldn't you why wouldn't you want to get those from the same source now it's it's hard and it's hard for both movies and for and, and you know for other consumables uh, even music okay so so you downloaded this this mp3 well if you have to go to another mp3 player to play it you know if, if you've if you've downloaded a song but it requires itunes well you probably you know that's probably not a viable business model so so then you have to you know, enhance your player that increases weight etc and so forth and for for things like comics where they're usually not usually but they're often purchased on one platform you know maybe you use your computer to to buy the comic um but you're reading it on a tablet or a phone um there's there's some degree of complexity and and i don't mean to uh, underestimate that um something that I, I say very often is there's there's no job too too difficult to ask somebody else to do um but uh you know, I, it, it's something that I see as, as a natural occurrence. And, and in particular, um, Steam's got such an accepted uh, DRM solution. DRM's a, a big issue for, for all different forms of media that I see them spreading out into different different areas. All right, Larry. And here's the even bigger question is, what do you see for the future of indie video games? We are, as you say, uh, in the golden age of games, and especially on PC, and we've talked a lot about what indie devs are doing and achieving right now all throughout the world. What do you think? So I, I think that we're going to continue to see a whole lot a whole lot of games coming out. I think that what where there's an opportunity... Um, and I think that I, I think that the major challenge is is discovery, filtration, and discovery. Show me only the things that I'm interested in. But if there's something new that's out there that I I haven't heard of, help me to find it. I think that those are the are the two major issues. And I think that there's a tremendous opportunity um, for people that have better solutions, perhaps outside of the platforms and outside of the clients, to do that. Um, let me give you give you an example. Um, uh, social media. Um, you know, when uh, when Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg did not start off with Facebook. He actually started out with a, a music player. And uh, the music player had the, the social gradient in it. The idea was that you would probably like to listen to stuff that people that are your friends like to listen to. I think that um, I think the same thing um, might be out there, you know, waiting to be written to be discovered for for games. Something that's going to help me find stuff that people like me like to play, um, and that will filter stuff that people like me don't want to see so much um, out of my consciousness. I, I want to keep us moving towards the end of the episode because I've already taken up a, a big chunk of your time, and again, I just appreciate you know all of this. You're you bring to this show something that we just haven't had on the Indian Insider podcast yet, which I think is really exciting. It's different thoughts and a different perspective. Um, so I appreciate that. Before I let you go, though, I want to ask you just a couple of last questions about, you know, the broader indie video game industry. And then, of course, I want to get your last piece of advice, although you've already shared a bunch. So <laughs> thank you for all of that as well. Um, Larry, in terms of you know, video games, we've talked a lot about the PC space. I know that your company works a lot in the PC space as well, golden age uh, of games, especially on PC, like we've said. Where do you think consoles fall into that? And I ask because I spend most of my time gaming on consoles. So um, we have our first uh, titles coming out on console um, later this year or or 
or Q1 um, 2018. That that's in fact not a development decision. That's that's a marketing decision where where they're going to fit in best. Um, I think that the the folks that run consoles um, that that is you know essentially Microsoft and Sony. Are, are looking out there and they're looking at the, at the indie scene. Uh, you know, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Um, it's, it's not that they're looking at it and saying, wow, that's a great game, but they're out there looking at it and saying, wow, this game sold 5 million copies plus. Mm-hmm. We, we need to get that and we need to, to stay competitive with it. So um, I think that they are going to, if, if I were those guys, and they, they've tried this for years, they just haven't been uh, tremendously successful at it, um, if I were those guys, I'd be out there um, talking to the indie community, um, and, and there are multiple indie communities. Let me be clear about that. That's a, a misleading <laughs> expression. But I, I'd be I'd be looking at it and saying we're going to make the bar as low as we can. I'm going to try and get as many games as we can um, submitted to us, and we will go through them. Um, I think that they're also going to look at at the process, at the selection process, because one of the things that happens when you have to uh, select 10 games from among a thousand is that um, the 10 games that you select kind of look like the ones that you selected last time around. Sure. Um, I, I think that they're going to, you know, I think that there's going to be a real attempt to say, you know, what's new and cool that's coming out that we can get ahead of the curve. And that's that's what I would be looking for uh, on the indie scene. Um, the the other thing that, that goes along with that is if I were those guys, I would certainly be um, embracing the folks at Unity and um, at Unreal because they've made it a whole lot easier to port your game to multiple platforms to, to build it once and uh, and port it everywhere and that's something that they should they should all be celebrating if you um, if you had to build every game from scratch um, you know for, for Xbox and then had to rebuild it again for PlayStation or, or vice versa um, there would be a lot lot less content out there I think that the idea of having uh, universal platforms that you can just tick the boxes and say export it to these is just great and that's revolutionary for our industry do you think that it is worthwhile for smaller indie devs to be focusing on making their games for consoles and spaces other than, you know, Steam? I think it's something that they should be thinking about. Um, not not necessarily putting all their efforts in there because um, it, it can be an expensive um, procedure. So if you uh, if you apply and you're accepted into the Microsoft program, and I'll, I'll just talk about them. I'm I'm not I'm not uh, eschewing Sony, but but I have you know very recent experience with Xbox. Uh, if you um, if you have two developers, um, you can get two uh, uh, Xbox development kits, X, XDKs, uh, you know, as as part of your acceptance in the program. But if it turns out that you're distributed companies such as Night Dive, and you need to have three or four of them, um, it becomes a little bit more challenging, and you're going to have to pay for the last two. Um, you know, so our our team that that's working on it right now, um, our uh, multiplayer guru is based out of New Zealand, and getting him his uh, XDK was uh, was a bit of a challenge. But we did, and Microsoft was really helpful. They understood the problem, and and they stepped up and and worked with us on it. Larry, I'm really curious. We spent all this time talking about, you know, these thoughts and building ideas off of the story you told about your career, but what does the future look like for Larry? Uh, what's next for you? Are you going to are you excited about working with Nightwing for a while or Night Dive for a while? Sorry. So when I when I took this job, um, a, a buddy that I had worked with um, for, for for close to a decade at at several different places, 
um, said to me, he says, it's great. You're finally getting to work on the games that you, that you, you, you enjoyed playing. Um, I have, I have two grown children. Um, um, my son's out in Silicon Valley. My, my daughter's in, in North Carolina. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, playing games with them was, was part of, you know, part, part of, of my parenting process. I'm not recommending it for everybody. I don't think it's in any of the guides, <laughs> but it was. Um, so, for example, I, I got to work on Turok, which was a game that I played with my son, and that was a, a tremendous experience. I, I couldn't be more thrilled to be where I am. And we've, we've got... Uh, We've got a lot of plans for expansion, and, and we're doing some pretty good good things. Well, Larry, I, I'm sorry about the Nightwing thing, by the way. That's no, why okay. we edit these things in post. Um, you were talking about comic books on Steam. I got on, you know, superheroes. Was, that's where it came from. Um, so, Larry, if people have really enjoyed this talk, they want to follow your work. They want to follow what you guys are doing at Night Dive, and, and uh, I'm particularly excited about System Shock. How do they find you and Night Dive out on the internet? So um, we are on Steam. Uh, you know, clearly for for the games, we're on GOG. Um, we're also at the Humble Store. Um, if they want to contact us directly, we are um, we ha- we have a a good social media presence on Facebook, um, Twitter. Um, you can also, if you're if you're you know, not only is there um, our corporate Night Dive account, but if you're on Twitter and you want to. Tweet at me or follow me, uh, Larry at NightDiveStudios.com. Um, I try to answer every tweet. I will uh, let you know that if you have not had your uh, daily quotient of snark, come and follow me, and I'll make sure you get some. <laughs> Excellent, uh, Larry. Is there anything else you were dying to talk about that you feel like we didn't touch on? The, the only thing that the only thing that I would say to a young audience, it, it, it you know, gaming is a tough industry to, to break into right now. Um, you know, my advice to, to how to get there is to be a generalist, to learn as much as you can. Um, I don't care if you want to get into business development. You should um, at least you know be, be willing to sacrifice a couple of days and and run through the tutorials on Unreal and 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 Unity and you know learn how how games are actually made. Um, it'll make you smarter and your coworkers will like you a lot more. But but I'm going to tell you this, and it, and it sounds like um it sounds like one of those you know hackneyed uh, bits of advice that you get from somebody i was i was really lucky i uh, i stumbled into gaming and that was that was the case but don't be afraid to follow your passion uh, you know i uh, i also had a a whole career before that um where i wore um gray and blue suits and i had one brown one for those crazy dress down fridays um <laughs> I, I don't feel like I, I wasted my life. I, um, I I raised you know two kids. I, I put I put them through. You know, I, I did my 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 bigger job. That that said, um, when I think about what life was like in those days, and I think about what life is like since I entered the gaming industry, it's a whole lot better. My uh, my my last. Uh, my last observation on the gaming industry, and please feel free to quote this all you want, is uh, but uh, that what we do for a living is what most people get fired for doing at work. (laughs) Sure. Thank you for joining us this week. Again, if you have thoughts, questions, or ideas you'd like to share, you can email me at logan at blackshowmedia.com or reach out on Twitter at Indie underscore Insider or at Logan A. Schultz. That's L-O-G-A-N-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. You can also find us on Instagram under the name Indie Insider. The show is on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast services across the web, as well as the Black Shell Media blog. If you enjoy what we're doing here and want us to keep doing it, or if you have things you'd like us to change, 
please go to your favorite podcast provider and leave us a review so that we can keep sharing these episodes with you each week. Special thanks this week go out to Raghav Mother, Daniel Doan, and Raquel Hayner, as well as Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for the use of his song, Going Higher. I'm Logan Schultz, and you've been listening to Indie Insider. We'll see you next week.